National parks are such special and beautiful places where memories are made for millions of Americans every year. Hiking, fishing, exploring the great outdoors together. But many national parks hold unsolved mysteries of people who visited and never left, disappeared. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park encompasses more than 522,000 acres of protected land in parts of Tennessee and North Carolina. In the summer of 1969, six-year-old Dennis Martin went missing during an annual family camping trip on the Tennessee side of the Smokies. The search for Dennis would be one of the costliest in the history of Great Smoky Mountains National Park. 1,400 people volunteered to search a 56-square-mile area. But money and manpower don't guarantee you'll get answers. Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard, and this is the mystery of the disappearance of Dennis Martin. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park is the most visited park in America. Part of the driving force behind its popularity is the area surrounding the park that beckons folks to visit each year, Dollywood and Gatlinburg. One of the most popular destinations within the Smokies is Cades Cove. Millions of Americans visit Cades Cove every year. Some want to drive the 11-mile loop road to observe wildlife, stop to see historic structures along the way, and take photos of the stunning scenery in the fall and spring. Some visit and stay a while in Cades Cove Campground, which offers hiking and biking adventures for campers. Whether you drive through or choose to camp, you visit Cades Cove because it's one of the best spots to catch a glimpse of wildlife in the Smokies. You'll often see deer and black bears, along with coyotes, groundhogs, turkeys, and raccoons. Cades Cove is picturesque, built by the National Park Service as a hiker's paradise, with trails that lead you through dense pine oak forest to the beautiful Abram Falls. It was the beauty of the Smokies and their love of Cades Cove that drew the Martin family from their Knoxville, Tennessee home every year. For generations, men in the Martin family would set out for an annual Father's Day weekend of camping and hiking in the Smokies. On June 13, 1969, William Martin and his sons, six-year-old Dennis and nine-year-old Douglas, were joined by William's father, Clyde, and some family friends. This would be Dennis Martin's first Father's Day camping weekend with men of his family, which made the adventure all the more exciting for him. And the family started their adventure in Cades Cove, where they set out on their 13-mile hike along the Russell suspense-filled loop. Dad and Grandpa Martin were accustomed to the hike, had done it for decades. Nine-year-old Douglas had done it before. And William Martin would later say six-year-old Dennis didn't grow tired or bored during his first hike. He kept pace with the family. Bright-eyed Dennis, with his dark hair and his big smile, was a joy to be around. His father, William, said Dennis was flashing that sweet smile a lot along the trail that began from the Anthony Creek Trailhead in the Cades Cove picnic area. The group followed the trail through Abrams Creek, out of Cades Cove, passing the Crib Gap Trail Junction, and on to Russell Field. 
The Martins arrived at camp in Russell Field on the evening of June 13th, where they met up with family friend, Dr. Carter Martin of Huntsville, Alabama, and Dr. Martin's two sons. Now, Dr. Martin and the Martin Father's Day group, they shared the last name, but there's no relation between these Martins. Early on the morning of June 14th, the group began their 90-minute hike along the Appalachian Trail to Spence Field, a popular spot to view mountain laurel in June. The hike always worth the view at the end, as you see the hillside and meadows covered in pink and white flowers. When the group arrived at Spence Field, they were met by William Martin's uncles and aunts, along with other family members who had arrived in Spence Field the day before. And the family took time to catch up and then enjoyed lunch in the picnic area. It was just a perfect June day, sunny, warm, not too humid. Now, Dennis Martin was a sweet boy, always wanted to be a helper. He helped his grandfather gather up and wash all of their dishes and camping utensils from lunch, and then headed out to play with his brother and Dr. Martin's sons. Dennis's father, William, would later describe the little plot he and his father noticed the boys were putting together. William said around 3 p.m., he watched as the boys huddled up and joked about running to the edge of the field, sneaking around and carrying out their sneak attack to surprise and scare the grown-ups. The boys told Dennis he needed to walk alone and away from them because he was wearing a bright red t-shirt. They didn't want that color to spoil their sneak attack. It was endearing and typical kids plotting in whispers that sounded like gentle yells. They were proud of their little plan, so William and the other adults let them carry on with their fun. Nine-year-old Douglas Martin teamed up with Dr. Martin's boys. They went in one direction while little Dennis headed off in another, alone, wearing that bright red t-shirt. Dennis's father, William, watched for a few minutes as Dennis walked away. Just a few minutes later, when the kids jumped out to scare the grown-ups, no one immediately worried that Dennis wasn't with them. William had watched his son go off in another direction and knew why. He figured Dennis was smaller, moving a little slower than the other boys. But after five minutes passed, William sensed something just wasn't right. Dennis should have been there by now. The family split up, started looking for Dennis, calling for him. There would be no answer from Dennis Martin. Dennis's father was very concerned because Dennis was quiet, but when someone in the family called, he always answered. William and his father Clyde decided to head in opposite directions in their search for Dennis. William headed west, followed the nearby Appalachian Trail, and called for Dennis along the way. He walked up and down about a one-mile stretch before he hiked back to Russell Field and back again to Spence Field. William thought if Dennis had gotten confused, maybe he followed the path the family had taken earlier in the day. But when William Martin returned to Spence Field, he was alone, and panic seemed to be setting in for the Martin family. This was 1969, in the middle of a national park. No cell phones or quick way to call for help. Dennis's grandfather, Clyde, hiked to the nearest ranger station at Cades Cove, about nine miles down the trail. It was approximately 8.30 p.m. when Clyde Martin 
reached the ranger station and raised the alarm that Dennis was missing. Around this time, the greatest enemy of disappearances in national parks reared its ugly head. Weather. Rain moved in, and then a strong storm. That weather was bad enough, knowing Dennis was out in the elements and likely very scared. But the weather works as an enemy in rescue efforts because it impedes the work of sniffer dogs desperately needed for rescues, especially in such complicated terrain. The Smokies are covered in thickets of trees and all kinds of vegetation that can cause a person to get confused and lead them to get trapped if they're off the trail. And there are countless drainage areas made even more dangerous by erosion from creeks that run throughout the Smokies. Plus, you've got steep cliffs and crevices. And then there's the wildlife you encounter that can prove challenging and dangerous, like black bears and wildcats. Now imagine trying to find a six-year-old little boy in his red t-shirt and green hiking shorts. The storms on the evening of June 14th made a tough job even more complicated and worried rangers because heavy rains drown out the sound of rescuers calling for a missing person and any chance of hearing them call back. The official National Park Service report on the search for Dennis Martin notes that at 8.28 p.m., Cades Cove Subdistrict Ranger Larry Nielsen notified the dispatch at park headquarters that there was a missing child in the park. The storm moved in by 9 p.m. and dropped nearly three inches of rain over Spence Field and the surrounding area over the next few hours, washing away much-needed clues in the search for Dennis, like scent trails or footprints. A few rangers did head out to search the immediate area where Dennis had last been seen in Spence Field. Smoky Mountains National Park Chief Ranger Snedden knew it was too dangerous to put together a large-scale search. It was dark, the weather was severe. The rangers who were already looking for Dennis radioed in to report they would continue to search throughout the night. And Chief Ranger Snedden put together a search plan for the morning of June 15th. There was no large-scale established search and rescue operation plan for the park in 1969. Snedden had to do the best he could. His records note he called in a crew of about 30 men with five leaders and 10 additional crews of two to four men. The rangers set up a headquarters camp at Spence Field and enlisted the help of a helicopter pilot to transport searchers and volunteers between Cades Cove and Spence Field. Their search, which included rangers along with county rescue squad volunteers, began at about 5 a.m. on June 15th. By 1 p.m., the poorly coordinated search party had grown to about 240 people, with Boy Scouts and rescue squads from the North Carolina side of the Smokies helping with Jeeps, trucks, and their helicopters. The rain and poor weather conditions had done what the rangers feared. There were no clues, no sign of Dennis Martin found, on the second day of the search. And by the next morning, June 16th, the weather had improved enough to bring in bloodhounds to track Dennis. The search party expanded to more than 300 people. The rescue efforts included an extensive grid search of Spence Field, where Dennis had last been seen 
along with rescue volunteers, searching the trail and drainage areas around the field. On day four of the search for Dennis Martin, there was utter confusion as more than 400 volunteers joined Rangers and Special Forces to try to help find Dennis. The search was not well coordinated and the family had their hopes dashed many times. Searchers discovered a child-sized footprint and shoe print near a water break that was just below Spence Field. The family were brought in and said the shoe size didn't look like a match to Dennis's shoes. Then hope again when a little boy was found alone in the park. The child had been fishing with his family and had wandered away. Searchers assumed it was Dennis, but when the Martins saw him, they were heartbroken when they realized this was not their child. Rain was a constant enemy in the search for Dennis Martin. Weather would clear for a bit, but rain would return, and with it, the fear that any clue in the search for Dennis was being washed away. By day five of the search, Wednesday, June 18th, the National Park Service makes it clear that the situation seemed out of control and the search had no clear direction. Press had been swarming the area trying to talk to family and search and rescue volunteers in grid search areas, and they prevented people from doing what they needed to do, search for Dennis. At this point, more than 600 people were searching for Dennis Martin with no communication between rangers and all of the groups that had volunteered and moved in to help. The scene was chaotic. There were questions about where to search next. And one forester noted that if Dennis had gotten out of Spence Field, it's possible he could have wandered into an area known as Little Bald, thinking he was near his family when he was really walking away from them. As rescue efforts continued, there were many suggestions and predictions as to what had happened to Dennis Martin. Those suggestions came from psychics and fortune tellers. The Martin family reportedly did ask that these tips be followed up. Their boy had been missing for six days, and they were desperate for answers, any bit of hope they could find. One psychic from Los Angeles called in to say he had seen Dennis two and a half miles to the left of where last seen by his father or brother. Dennis had fallen off a steep area and was hung up in the bushes, but he was alive. A psychic interpreter from New Orleans called authorities to say they should stop looking on the ground and start looking up in trees and treetops to find Dennis. In all, there were dozens of calls from psychics who were convinced they had answers that could lead to Dennis Martin. The team leaders followed up on all these calls, and each one led to a dead end. Over the coming days, hundreds of volunteers joined in the search for Dennis Martin, leading to more than 1,400 people taking part in grid, drainage, and trail searches day after day. 1,100 helicopter missions were carried out in the search for Dennis but they found no clues, no sign of Dennis. When the search passed the one-week mark, the FBI was asked to investigate whether Dennis's disappearance could be a kidnapping. FBI agent Jim Ride headed up the investigation into the Martin family's background. 
He needed to see if there was any information that could point to Dennis having been kidnapped or hurt by someone known to the Martins. And he found the Martins had no enemies. No one connected to the family appeared suspicious enough for the FBI to investigate, which led the FBI and the Martins back to the Smokies. The Martin family sat with authorities and went over every detail they could remember from the time they arrived at Great Smoky Mountain National Park until that fateful last moment when William saw Dennis walk away from the group as he was playing with his brother and friends. The Martins recounted all that had happened during the initial search for Dennis in the hours before Clyde Martin reached the ranger station. That was a four-hour window where the Martins looked for Dennis before Clyde hiked down and made it to the ranger station for help. People around Spencefield offered to help look for Dennis as word spread that the family was concerned that a little boy was missing. The Martins noted some things were suspicious and asked authorities to look into them. First, an unnamed man from Dandridge, Tennessee. He had been camped at Spence Field when Dennis went missing, and William Martin, Dennis's father, told park rangers that this John Doe, as they called him, sort of clung to William during most of the search, insisted on being near him. Then, in a strange twist, an unknown woman claiming to possess extrasensory perception contacted the Miami Police Department. She asked if she could talk to Dennis's mother. Authorities arranged a call in which this woman allegedly told Dennis's mother to watch out for Mr. Doe from Dandridge, Tennessee. Keep an eye on him. Mrs. Martin suggested to police that this Mr. Doe and the lady from Miami could be working together, may have taken Dennis. Authorities followed up on the suggestion, but there's no public record showing they believe this to be suspicious enough to pursue further investigation. The Martins were desperate to find their son and tried to think of every possible scenario. They suggested someone may have confused the Martin families. Remember the family friend that met up with Dennis and the Martins in Russell Field? Dr. Carter Martin and his sons. William and his wife asked, could someone have gotten the Martin families mixed up and kidnapped the wrong Martin boy? The FBI followed up and again, there's no public information that shows any evidence this could be true. But the public? Well, we can't know for sure because the FBI has refused to release the official report on their investigation into Dennis Martin's disappearance. Countless freedom of information requests have been filed by reporters, members of law enforcement, podcasters, and others who want to know more of what the FBI found but the report has never been released. Of particular interest in that file are leads their investigators followed and witnesses they interviewed, including a man named Harold Key. Harold was from Carthage, Tennessee. He and his family were in the park the day Dennis disappeared. They were in the Sea Branch area that's near Rowan's Creek, which is about a seven mile hike from Spence Field, where Dennis had been playing when he went missing. Harold Key told investigators he heard a, quote, sickening scream that afternoon. He and his wife looked around to see what was going on. They were worried one of their children was being attacked by a bear. Within moments, Harold Key spotted a rough-looking man moving at a pretty quick pace 
through the nearby woods, and Harold said it was obvious the man was avoiding them. Now, at the time, the Key family had no idea a little boy was missing in the park. It would be days later when they returned home and turned on the news that they learned about the disappearance of Dennis Martin. There's confusion as to when Harold Key reported the incident because mention of it shows up in Tennessee newspapers in July 1969, a month after Dennis went missing. This made it look like Harold Key waited a month to report what he had seen, but it's believed Harold reported this within days of hearing news reports that Dennis may have been kidnapped. It just didn't make it into the papers until July. Here's what we do know. When Harold Key spoke to park rangers, he made it clear he could not remember the exact time he had seen this strange man in the woods, only that it was sometime between 2 and 7 p.m. When park officials evaluated the report, they agreed that Rowan's Creek, being so far away from Spence Field, made it unlikely that these incidents were connected. As far as we know, nothing and no one was pursued. But again, this is from information in the National Park Service report. We don't know what's in that ever-elusive FBI file on Dennis's disappearance. Harold Keat did tell a researcher named Michael Bouchard in 2016 that the FBI asked him not to talk about what he had seen, which has sparked suspicion through the years. But in the middle of a case, when the FBI is still pursuing leads, it would make sense that they wouldn't want people talking about theories until they had answers as to whether Dennis had been kidnapped. Writer and podcaster Micah Hanks has spent a lot of time investigating Dennis Martin's disappearance. He shared Bichard's detailed account of the key interview in which Harold clarified what made him feel so ill at ease on that fateful afternoon in June of 1969. Key told Bichard that his family observed a middle-aged white man walking at a fast pace through the woods in the direction of the nearby road. He said the man walked to a white vehicle, parked at the road, and, quote, drove off at a high rate of speed, throwing gravel in the air, and the vehicle was heading in the direction of Cade's Cove. Harold Key specifically mentioned to Mr. Bouchard that the man he saw that day looked so nervous and was perspiring so heavily, and that's why he stood out. Mr. Key commented to his wife that the man they saw was, quote, thinking strange thoughts. Now, the FBI kept this quiet. Dennis Martin's family were kept in the dark about it at the time. And we don't have the FBI report to know if they ever pursued the mysterious man in the white vehicle. All we know for sure is that the FBI continued to coordinate with park officials for the duration of the search. The seventh day of the search for Dennis Martin, Friday, June 20th, 1969, was especially difficult for his family. It was Dennis Martin's seventh birthday. This was also the day Park Ranger records show plans for how to proceed if Dennis was not found alive. The following day, with more than 1,400 volunteers on scene and concerns that the volunteers could do more harm than good, Park officials asked that volunteers stop joining the search. The cost of the search for Dennis Martin, and with little hope of finding Dennis alive, 
Park officials discussed plans to begin scaling down on Tuesday, June 24th. The following day, Park Superintendent George Fry announced the search for Dennis Martin would be ending soon. A heartbroken and devastated Martin family broke camp and drove home to Knoxville. On Sunday, June 29th, Great Smoky Mountain National Park Rangers suspended all major search operations for Dennis Martin. And the National Park Service report notes the FBI met with park officials and reported they found no evidence supporting theories Dennis Martin had been kidnapped. Over the next few days, the Martin family raised a $5,000 reward to be offered for any information leading to their son. Weeks passed, and by September 11th, 1969, the park officially closed the search for Dennis Martin. To this day, no one knows what happened to Dennis. We only have theories, including the possibility that as Dennis walked away, he became disoriented and kept wandering into rugged terrain and perished due to the elements or possibly after being attacked by wildlife. The theory the Martins were more inclined to believe was the theory that would have meant Dennis could have survived somehow, did not perish in the park. They believed he had been kidnapped. More than 50 years later, the disappearance of Dennis Martin remains a mystery. There have been tips and leads through the years, like a tip that came in in 1985 from illegal hunters. The men had seen something a few years after Dennis disappeared that could have offered answers as to what happened to him. The man that called in the report said he and a friend were hunting illegally when they found a skull and remains of what appeared to be a small boy. The skull was allegedly in an area three miles from Spence Field where Dennis was last seen alive. But fearing arrest, almost two decades passed before the man called in that tip. By the time a search team looked for the remains, their search came up empty. Too much time had passed, and nothing was found. In the 1990s, a man contacted park officials and asked for information on the case and their search for Dennis. He explained he was adopted, was searching for his birth parents, and he thought he might be Dennis Martin. But once he spoke with park officials, he realized the timeline of his life didn't match up with the timeline of Dennis's. We may never know what happened to sweet little Dennis Martin, but we do know the search for Dennis was, by park officials' own reports, a noted failure. With so many people on the scene, Any evidence that could have been preserved after all of that rain moved through the week Dennis disappeared, it was likely trampled by countless well-intended people who showed up to help, but had no clear leader and direction on how to carry out their search for Dennis Martin. The failure to properly organize the search for Dennis led the National Park Service to overhaul their search and rescue operations throughout the National Park Service. And agencies across the country, even around the world, followed their lead. 
due to changes made in large-scale search and rescue operations after the disappearance of Dennis in 1969, lives have been saved. It's just so tragic that those changes didn't happen in time to bring little Dennis Martin home. Southern Mysteries is hosted and produced by me, Shannon Ballard. To see photos of Dennis and the search for him in the Smokies, along with sources for this episode, check the full show notes at southernmysteries.com. I want to say a special thanks and a welcome to Kelly from Kernersville, North Carolina, and Jamie from Manhattan, Kansas, the newest patrons of Southern Mysteries. I'm so thankful for you and so glad to have you as members of the show. And keep in mind, you can join Jamie and Kelly and the rest of our members at Patreon, where you can hear more Southern Mysteries when you support the show. You can join and catch up on previous episodes of Southern Mystery Shorts at patreon.com slash southernmysteries. And if you like hearing Southern Mysteries and want to help other people discover the show, rate and review where you're listening now and make sure you share the episode. I'm just so thankful for your support. I love sharing these stories, and it's so fun to hear from folks who have found the show because friends encourage them to check it out. Thanks for listening. 